good day, and welcome to the Tower Sector Downgrade Conference Call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to today's speaker, Ethan Lacey. Please go ahead, sir. Yeah, hi. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ethan Lacey, and I do TMT Specialty Sales at New Street. I want to thank everyone for joining us today for our call focused on the downgrade of uh, the tower sector from New Street. We have on the call Spencer Kern, our primary U.S. tower analyst. The format is going to be a brief overview from Spencer, followed by Q&A, and as always, the more interactive, the better. There were call slides uh, that were sent out with the invite. If you did not get them, please email uh, me at ethan.lacy at newstreetresearch.com. And also feel free to send any questions that you might have for Spencer uh, on the call. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Spencer. Thanks, Ethan. Hi, and uh, thanks everybody else for dialing into the call today. Before we get started on why we're downgrading the towers, uh, I just want to note that we've been longtime tower bulls. The towers have been one of the best business models that we've ever seen. And in fact, we've defended them time and time again against claims that their business dynamics were threatened. So we don't downgrade the sector lightly. Uh, the reason we're downgrading today is because the stocks are trading at all-time high multiples and the street is missing the fact that 2019 will be the year of peak organic growth. The essence of the call is that towers won't be able to sustain these multiples in the face of declining growth over the next three years. To reach this conclusion, we explored two themes for the towers, organic growth and valuation. We lay out our framework on slide two of the call slides. For organic growth, we looked at growth rates for the sector uh, depending on the outcome of the Sprint Timo merger and whether 5G deployments come into fruition. We then applied different growth adjusted multiples based on where peers are trading. The first multiple we applied was a 1.7 times price to AFFO to growth multiple based on where the data centers are trading. Next, we looked at uh, a 2.2x growth multiple based on where the RMZ average trades today. And third, we looked at a 2.7x price to AFFO photo growth multiple based on where some of the highest read subsectors are trading today. On the next slide, we lay out our five conclusions from the analysis. Point one, organic growth may peak in 2019. Uh, point two, beware of the 5G air pocket. That is, even if 5G gets deployed under a pretty rapid time frame, we still think organic growth will decline. Point three, a Sprint T-Mobile could dampen growth. Point four, when we look at four, our four growth scenarios for the sector, these could drive four to six turns differences in multiples. And point five, when we look at the three valuation scenarios, we show that we really need further multiple expansion to get material upside for the stocks. So moving to point one on slide four, as many of you know, we maintain a bottoms-up carrier-by-carrier deployment model to estimate the equipment that carriers are putting on towers and how that drives revenue growth for the sector. We think 2019 will be the peak year of activity, largely due to AT&T's deployment of FirstNet, AWS3, and WCS Spectrum. When they finish most of the project in the second half of the year, we believe activity levels will slow. Activity levels are a leading indicator for organic growth by about 12 months. So on the next slide, we show the impact of slowing activity on growth. Assuming no impact from 5G in our forecast, organic growth should roughly have 
from 6.3% in 2019 to just 3.5% by 2024. Now, this doesn't really tell the whole story because we think it's pretty likely that 5G will get deployed over this time period. On slide six, we show that there's a ton of spectrum that will be unleashed over the next few years for 5G. The problem for towers, most of it is millimeter wave spectrum that will only be deployed on small cells. <clears throat> so if we isolate the spectrum that we think will be deployed on towers, we are left with just the C-band and dishes spectrum. And these spectrum bands are likely years away from being deployed. DISH is a total wildcard, but for purposes of this report, we assume they start deploying their phase two network aggressively in 2021. The C-band, on the other hand, is immersed in an FCC process for at least the next six to nine months. Even under the fastest timeline, we don't think the spectrum could be deployed before 2023. So on the next slide, we show that, these, that this really leaves us with a 5G air pocket. I want to stress this point. Even in the most generous scenario of carrier deployments, organic growth will still face three years of declines beyond 2019. And we wouldn't even be surprised if it took a couple more years for these bands to get deployed if history is any precedent. So now that we have our growth forecast for our current estimates and 5G, we can look at the impact that the Sprint TMO merger would have in our forecasts. If the merger is approved, the companies would first combine the two networks, driving nearly $7 billion of amendment revenue for the big four tower companies. Then new T-Mobile would decommission 80% of Sprint sites, effectively netting out all of the benefits from the amendment revenue. And then lastly, we think Sprint Timo will add fewer sites as a combined entity than they would independently, which wipes out another $4 billion in revenue for the towers by our estimates. The timing of uh, these activities is important. Since amendments come first, if the mergers approved, growth would actually peak in 2020 versus our prior assumption of 2019. But growth would be much lower in the outer years. And we're on slide 10 right now. Even though growth would continue to accelerate for another year. We don't think this is good for the stocks for two reasons. First, the merger drives lower long-term growth, which should in turn uh, pressure the multiple that investors are willing to pay. And second, we think there's a high likelihood that the tower companies could strike master lease agreements with new T-Mobile, which would effectively smooth out uh, the acceleration and deceleration in growth that we show here. So bottom line, the merger would be bad for towers. The merger could also drive slower growth for 5G. The one thing we have good certainty in is that new T-Mobile would likely have a lower appetite for the C-band since they would be flush with 2.5 gigahertz spectrum already. This could lower our forecast for C-band amendments by roughly 30%. The impact on DISH's spectrum deployments is less straightforward. A lot of it depends on the conditions of the merger uh, and whether DISH is a key beneficiary of them. We've already given the towers credit for DISH deploying Spectrum under a pretty rapid time frame. So even if DISH is a beneficiary of merger conditions, we don't think it would materially change our growth forecast. The other option for the merger is that it could spawn a new entrant uh, from a cable company or someone like Amazon. This would likely be positive for towers but again, we don't think that these networks would be deployed fast enough to avoid a significant slowdown in growth beyond 2019. 
So on slide 12, when we look at our four growth scenarios, growth isn't all that different for revenue. It actually only varies 100 basis points between our best and worst cases across the three tower companies. But the high operating leverage, high operating and financial leverage of the tower's business model magnifies this impact on AFFO. On slide 13, you'll see there's a 220 basis points difference. While this might not sound like a big delta, it drives a big difference in valuation with the stocks trading at such high multiples. So now let's talk about multiples. On slide 14, we show that the towers and the RMZ have both seen multiple expansion, sharp multiple expansion since the start of the year as interest rates have fallen. AMT now trades at the lowest spread to treasury yields. Sorry, the towers now traded the lowest spread to treasury yields since they started reporting AFFO around 2012. If we are right that 2019 is the peak year of organic growth, it's eerily similar to where we were in 2014 when the carriers had just finished deploying LTE. Multiples back then were at the high end of their range 22 times, and they subsequently fell four turns through the end of 2016 as organic growth slowed. One of the drivers of the recent multiple expansion has undoubtedly been the new REIT investor base increasingly buying the towers. For years, we've always looked at this as a source of upside. Towers traded at discount to REITs on static AFFO multiples and when adjusted for growth. But now the towers aren't that cheap relative to REITs anymore. They traded a premium on static multiples and only at a modest discount to growth, to growth adjusted multiples. There's still room for multiples to potentially expand further to effectively match the growth adjusted multiples of some of the REIT subsectors. This may well be possible, but you've got to believe that everything goes right for the towers. So on page 16, when we sensitize 2020 AFFO per share multiples to our price to AFFO to growth targets, we can derive simple trading ranges for where the towers should be. AMT and SBA should trade between 20 and 30 times AFFO per share, while CCI should trade at a three-turn discount. We would note that these valuation ranges are generous relative to history. In bad times, towers have been known to trade down to 14 times AFFO per share, far below the lowest case that we present here. So finally, in the last slide, slide 17, we show where the growth analysis and multiples analysis shakes out on valuation. We ascribe a 50% probability to our lowest case and a 25% probability to the middle and high cases. The result is that AMT and SBAC could see modest upside from here, but we see downside for CCI. Even in the most bullish growth scenario, you need to believe in further multiple expansion to warrant a buy here. And if history serves as a precedent, we think multiples are more likely to decline than to expand as organic growth slows over the next few years. And with that, uh, happy to take any questions. I think I'll turn the call back to Ethan now. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we will open the floor for questions. If you would like to ask a question, please press the star key followed by the one key on your touchstone phone now. Questions will be taken in the order in which they are received. If at any time you would like to remove yourself from the question in queue, press star 2. Again, to ask a question, please press star 1 now. And, and while we wait, Spencer, I've already gotten a number just on the back of the report last night and this morning, uh, questions, and 
one in particular that I think we've seen a couple times is just pushback around the uh, relative valuation to read and specifically to read investors. When I look at slide 15 and your analysis of towers on a growth adjusted basis versus REITs, I think the question that we've got is, aren't they still attractive? And, you know, I think the, the narrative goes something along the lines of, you know, if GDP slows, you know, won't the REIT investment community, specifically the non-TMT guys, flock, you know, even more to infrastructure assets like towers that are, you know, could still grow at 4 to 5% regardless of, you know, the macro environment? Yeah, uh, so that's a great question. Um, I think that, you know, first off, if we sort of enter a uh, poor GDP growth environment and we enter a recession, all of these stocks will probably face a lot of downside. Now, the towers may outperform the broader market, but in the prior recession, tower multiples fell six turns. So, you know, if you're only looking at these stocks relative to REITs, you know, we wouldn't argue that there may be a little bit more upside. Uh, there could be more upside to the multiple, but, you know, the call that we're really making here is that, you know, multiples have expanded a ton. They're no longer uh, cheap on static multiples and they're barely cheap on a growth adjusted basis. And in the face of declining growth, it seems that, you know, these multiples may be hard to sustain, you know, based on what we've seen historically out of the tower sector. Great. And I've got a few more, but I'll just, uh, Jonathan, is there anyone on the phone lines with a question? At this time, no one has queued up. Okay. The, uh, I think the CCI, the sell rating, Spencer, is another one where we've had uh, a number of questions, you know, some sort of focused on the relative valuation and then others focused just on the move or the downgrade relative to where we've historically been, it, just in the context of at least you haven't been constructive on the small sale differentiation for CCI to begin with. And obviously the merger backdrop is not necessarily new. So, you know, mm -hmm. if we consider sort of merger has been there as a potential overhang, less 5G upside maybe than some expect, that's possibly incremental. But help us understand that the downgrade given your thesis, you know, on small cell differentiation is, is something that you've kind of been uh, out there in the market with for some time now. So in this report, we uh, really tried to provide um, an analytical framework for how to think about all the towers um, and their multiples. And Crown Castle, because of their capital allocation decisions and their investments in small cells, you know, is going to grow at a slower pace than AMT and SBA, uh, even after factoring in their, div their higher dividend yield. So on our analytical framework here, there's just simply downside to Crown Castle. Now, I would argue that we're actually being a little bit generous in the way that we're valuing Crown in this report. Uh, the reasons that you know, we're basically giving them credit for their fiber and small cell uh, businesses, uh, we're giving them credit for those businesses and effectively saying that they're worth the same multiple as Towers. And when we analyze the businesses, you know, we think they're going to generate lower returns on fiber and small cells relative to towers. And that should actually correspond to a lower blended multiple 
not just on a growth-adjusted basis um, relative to AMT and SBA. Uh, in the report we published last night, we actually updated our small cell forecast and we actually lowered our growth rates for small cells for Crown Castle uh, for two reasons. First, Verizon actually had lower small cells than we thought. So we think they have um, around 25,000 small cells today. Uh, previously, we'd assumed they had around 50. And then secondly, uh, secondly Crown Castle's actually captured lower market share than we thought. Uh, the key driver, is really Sprint uh, deploying their small cells uh, almost entirely with Altice on air strands in their footprint. And, you know, that poses, that sort of brings in a question of a longer risk to the small cell thesis, which is, uh, you know, Crown Castle's made the argument that cable networks uh, can't provide the same level of, uh, or the same quality of service or, or aren't really suited for uh, small cells. But we're not really seeing that out of Sprint. And, you know, if you talk to the cable companies, they're pretty confident that they can deploy small cells over their network just fine. So, you know, bottom line is I think we're being pretty generous by giving Crown Castle credit for small cells being uh, equivalent to towers in this framework. Um, if we were to sort of uh, adjust our multiples uh, for the differences in the business models, we would see even more downside. Got it. Okay. And I and I guess I said merger backdrop isn't new, but uh, I I have gotten a number of questions just relating to you or no, but uh, in towers is in terms of sort of the the daily influx of of new potential scenario analysis that the market's having to do. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I know you address sort of the idea of dish deploying a nationwide network or cable you know, potentially coming in as a fourth entrant, but do you really feel that that's actually in the tower stocks at this point? I feel like, um, you know, I mean, these headlines obviously are hitting almost on a daily basis, but I I wonder how much, you know, people uh, have really had the opportunity to think about, you know, those players and what they could mean for growth in the market. Any thoughts you have on that would be great. Yeah, so uh, I think it is largely, I mean, not fully embedded in the market, but I think the baseline perception from investors is that there's no way a plain vanilla Sprint T-Mobile merger is going to go through. Uh, There are going to be concessions which will likely benefit the towers. Uh, I think a lot of investors are also, uh, they're basically saying that the merger isn't going to be that bad because organic growth, you know, even if it does go through organic growth, is going to rise even more than it will than it would have over the next couple of years. I'm not so sure that's true. So with with Sprint Timo, you know, they've got to do a lot of work on their network uh, before they can decommission sites. And, you know, from their perspective, uh it would probably, you know, they would like to decommission sites as quickly as possible and book synergies. From a tower company perspective, they really, you know, AMT specifically, but I think all three tower companies today would say that they really want to mitigate churn. And the tower companies are in, are in a good position from this perspective because the amendment growth is going to come first and then churn is going to roll off over the next, call it three to 10 years. I think it's in both parties' interest to strike an MLA that effectively smooths out 
these trends. Uh, tower investors love stability. The tower companies themselves love stability. And if the you know Iden, if the Sprint Iden decommissioning process uh, serves as any precedent, you know AMT signed a master lease agreement, saw lower churn and much higher organic growth than the other two since the Iden decommissioning started. So uh, the bottom line is that even with a merger. Uh, I'm not so sure organic growth accelerates. I'm not so sure it sort of changes our pretty generous dish network deployment scenario. And the last thing to consider is the impact of a cable company gets nationwide spectrum. You know, I think cable co's are interested in it. I think what they really want out of this merger is a better MVNO. And, you know, with... And with 2.5 gigahertz spectrum, I'm not convinced that they don't just uh, deploy it over their small cell infrastructure rather than uh, macro towers. So I think if cable does come out of this with, you know, effectively being a new fourth entrant, that's one of the key sources where uh, the key areas where I think we could be wrong. But you know, e even in that scenario, we're still at, you know, peak multiples with growth likely to decline over the next couple of years. I'm still not, I still wouldn't be convinced that the sector could hold up in that scenario. Got it. And I've got a couple more for you uh, from the field, but I just want to make sure there's no questions on the call. Jonathan? At this time, there are no questions in the queue. Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, just sticking with the, the deal, Spencer, I guess another area of pushback if the deal goes through is, is just, you know, and certainly this has been New Street's thesis is that T-Mobile and Sprint, given their spectrum advantage and capacity advantage, uh, are going to be, you know, an even more fierce competitor relative to the incumbents, but particularly Verizon, which will, you know, need to pick up investment to, you know, shore up their sort of capacity disadvantage. Uh, just how do you think about that and its impact for the towers under sort of a deal or merger scenario? Thanks. Yeah. So Verizon's kind of a tricky one. We've been pretty vocal that Verizon's at a you know pretty stark capacity disadvantage uh, to the rest of the telecom companies um, for several years now. Um, the company seems to uh, have managed through it just fine. And um, what we're really seeing now um, out of them is a shift from macro site investments to small cells. So we've tracked their macro sites for the last five years. Growth has you know, steadily slowed um, for a number of years now, and we don't get any indication from them that that's likely to change. The, you know, from Verizon's perspective, sure, uh, you can make the call that uh, they're at a capacity disadvantage. But if they can capture a meaningful swath of C-band spectrum, that'll, we think that'll plug a lot of the gap. So, you know, Verizon does uh, have an out uh, with the C-band. You know, it's possible they need to pick up investment to match Sprint T-Mobile. Uh, but remember, they're going to be merging for the next, you know, if the deal goes through for the next couple of years, you know, it is, uh, it's, you probably won't see a full impact on subscribers until, you know, two to three years from now. And then uh, by that time, we could have the C-band. So, 
that is another area where tower investment could be more robust than we've assumed in our growth forecasts. But at this stage, it just doesn't seem uh, that likely to us. Got it. And then uh, I've got one or two more here. Uh, another one just is on sort of the relative valuation amongst the group, and I, and and uh, particularly as it relates to SBAC versus CCI. I know historically SBAC has sort of been your favorite name in the group, given its its levered equity upside to the growth. But you know, the question is if we do think that growth sort of slows down moving into next year. Uh, or even, you know, in a scenario where the macro backdrop, you know, gets worse, isn't this the name that's going to be, you know, most exposed to potential downside just given the nature of its capital structure? Yeah, I mean, so that's fair. If we do enter into a downturn, SBAC, given their higher leverage, will probably face the most pressure. Um, I will note that, you know, they will be delevering through 2021 um, as they begin to issue a dividend. So, you know, over the next couple of years, the leverage differential is going to shrink. But, you know, as we look at the businesses today, SBAC's got, you know, we think that their collection of assets is just going to drive the fastest growth in AFFO per share. You know, AMT is actually going to be pretty close to SBA on, on growth. But, you know, you have to remember their towers are a lot riskier than SBAs. They're in, they have much greater exposure to emerging markets than SBAC does. So, you know, when you sort of adjust for all those factors, um, you know, SBAC uh, is still our favorite. Uh, but, you know, within within the, the, the three tower companies, um, you know, we still prefer, uh, have, have a strong preference for AMT over Crown. Got it. Okay. And uh, helpful. Thank you. And then uh, this is my last one. It's almost feels more like a question for Blair, a question that I might have asked him yesterday on our call. But what do you uh, make of the news that the state AGs will get a, a preliminary adjunct, injunction against the uh, this T-Mobile Sprint deal? Thanks. Yeah, so that's really interesting. You know, for the investors who are looking to Sprint T-Mobile as a potential positive catalyst for growth, in 2020, if there's a preliminary injunction and this case goes to trial, the the outcome of the merger probably won't be decided for about six months. And so that sort of gives us more conviction that growth is likely to slow over the next couple of years. Um, essentially, the longer the Sprint T-Mobile merger gets delayed, the longer it will take for any benefit, any near-term benefit um, on amendment growth to happen. That's great. And uh, that's it uh, from my end, Spencer. I just wanted to make sure there was no questions uh, on the on the line. Jonathan? At this time, there are no questions in the queue. Okay. Wonderful. Uh, Spencer, I think that's a, a great place to leave it. Do you want to sign off or? Yeah. I just want to say thanks again uh, for everybody who dialed into the call today. And I'm available this afternoon if you'd like to chat through any more topics of the report. Thanks. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's teleconference. You may now disconnect. <laughs>